Thank you for listening to this Lunchtime Talk, produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. In this live recording, the Art Gallery's Curator of Contemporary Art, Lee Robb, discusses a new acquisition by contemporary American artist Matthew Monaghan. Hi everyone, this is a, a fantastic turnout for such a wet and wintry day, so I'm very impressed at your, your zealousness and um, really appreciate that you're joining me today for our lunchtime talk. So um, for those of you who haven't met um, personally, my name's Lee Robb, I'm the Curator of Contemporary Art here at the Art Gallery of South Australia. And I'd also like to acknowledge that this talk is taking place on um, Ghana country and that we pay our respects to Aboriginal elders past, present and those of the future going forward. Um, so I am super excited to talk to you about this work in particular, which is um, a brand new work which just went up uh, a few days ago. It's by an American artist, a Californian artist who's based in Los Angeles called Matthew Monaghan. The work is called um, the work is called Five Squared Mask Scarab in brackets, and it was created in 2016. Um, I'll give you a little bit of background about Matthew Monaghan and his practice, because what is so exciting about this work, and um, particularly for me in terms of growing our international collection, is that it is the first work of Matthew Monaghan's to be represented in a public collection in Australia. And um, so I'm you know, very excited about that, particularly because I saw his work um, over 10 years ago in 2006. So I first saw his work in uh, the Berlin Biennial. It was a biennial called Of Mice and Men, and it was curated by Maurizio Catalan, um, a very famous um, artist you might know for the suspended horse or, or the, the figure of the Pope who'd just been hit by a meteorite. Um, some very, very iconic um, uh, work from Maurizio Catalan. He was one of the curators alongside Massimiliano Gioni, also an incredible Italian curator who curated one of the recent um, Venice Biennials, and a New York curator called Ali Sabotnik. It was quite a defining, the reason I'm sort of going back to that time is because um, that biennial was quite uh, a sort of turning point in terms of contemporary practices around um, the anti-monumental. So also in that exhibition was, um, was some of the early horse works of Belinda de Brookier as well, um, and also works by um, Mark Manders and Thomas Schutter and uh, Thomas Hausego. Uh, uh, Huma Baba, some of the artists that you have, um, that you might have seen in um, Versus Rodan, the, the exhibition um, that I curated last year. And, um, you know, it was a particular, it was, it was a particular time uh, when artists were, you know, they were using a lot of uh, found materials and were interested in, you know, the anti-heroic, the anti-monumental, and Matthew Monaghan was one of those artists, but he was very, you know, he was very young at that stage. Um, he was born in 1972, so it makes him in about his mid-40s, about 46 now, 46 this year. And, um, and he studied at the Cooper Union in New York, which is one of the very famous um, art schools in the States. Um, and, uh, but then he's always really been based in, um, in Los Angeles. He also um, undertook a, a sort of two, year, uh, two years of study at... Um, 
uh, at the Ateliers in Amsterdam in 94 to 96, and then he's also undertaken quite a few residencies in Japan and China. So he's, um, he's well-traveled. He's also incredibly well-collected. Um, he's in the collections of the Tate, of, um, of MoMA, of um, the Stadelijk Museum, and um, yeah, the LACMA, MoMA, Institute of Contemporary Art in Philadelphia, National Roman Museum, and, um, and in um, spaces in, uh, yeah, the Stedelijk in the Netherlands and things and places like that. So he's, um, it's very exciting for us to be able to have acquired a work of his um, recently. Now, Matthew Monaghan, to give you a bit of background, and I've, I've circulated a couple of books. There's a major monograph that's just been published by Hatchikans, which is circulating, as well as another recent um, uh, exhibition that he did in Rome at Palazzo Al Temps. Um, just to give you a bit of a sense of his, of, of, of the sort of range of his uh, visual imagery, um, because this, you know, it's interesting to, to come to a work like this because Matthew Monaghan began, um, uh, you know, his, his early work was really using huge sheets of paper and charcoal. And he, you know, decided that he wanted to, you know, he keeps going back to the face and to the figurative. And it was actually a time in contemporary art where you weren't seeing a lot of figurative work. Um, and so it was, I remember seeing, seeing this entire room um, in the Berlin Biennial. It was in, um, uh, it was in one of the, the, the old Jewish girls' schools. And um, there were these huge folded, like almost sort of larger than, you know, A, A1 folded uh, pieces of um, paper covered in charcoal portraits or, you know, portraits of figures. And then in others there were sort of crumpled masks, sometimes made with paper, sometimes with charcoal, sometimes covered in graphite. Um, and in other cases he would use florist's foam um, to, uh, you know, and cover that in beeswax, and he would also use copper, gold, and silver leaf as well. So often they were quite sort of elemental or natural materials at that stage. They were quite malleable, they were quite fugitive, and they had a tendency to sort of break down as well over time. So it's only really in the last couple of years that he's, he's really moved away from those materials to make works that are slightly more permanent, um, including this work, which is um, um, made from a single sheet of anodized aluminium. Um, and I'll just read you a few quotes because he actually speaks very poetically about his about his work. You know, his his work spans. You know, he he often describes his process as almost archaeological. He 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 likes sort of scouring art history um, and from Italian Renaissance and uh, classicism to Italian Renaissance. And some of his touchstones are um, Medardo Rosso, who makes incredible. Um, figures in busts, if you ever get a chance to see a Medardo Rosso there at Sublime, um, to um, Rodin. Um, Rodin is one of his really important sort of touchstones, and that's why we thought it would be very nice to have this work in the same room as St. John the Baptist, the head of St. John the Baptist behind us there, um, as well as um, can, you know, uh, 20th century artists, including Francis Bacon, and the way that he would you know, portray his incredibly emotive portraits to... Um, to the likes of uh, Barbara Hepworth, 
and or also Gordon Matter Clark, who is very famous for sort of his folded architecture works. Um, so those are those sort of give you a sense of, of of who he goes to. But in the end, he you know he sort of said that he um, you know kept wanting to to come back to to you know to the figure. Um, because he sort of he had this he had this moment where he you know he realized he he also wanted to do something where he wasn't outsourcing you know in around sort of the early 2000s it was the time of the the, the growth of these uh, the studios of say the YBAs the young british artists so the likes of say Damien Hirst and Mark Quinn and um you know, tr you know tr Tracy Emin and uh, a lot of those artists had huge studios and um, and outsourced a lot of the fabrication of a lot of their works so it and you know to European artists like Jeppe Hein and um, they so they they tend to you know have these incredible studios where a lot of people were making making their work and they were upscaling and making you know you know much bigger much bigger works at the same time so but sort of pushing against that even though he lives in LA, and in LA there's a lot of studio space and a lot of artists have sort of warehouses, he, alongside another, you know, another couple of artists, including Thomas Hausago, um, they decided that they wanted to um, relearn how to make things and make things themselves. So, unlike a lot of other artists at that particular time when there was a boom in the art world, in the contemporary art world and the contemporary art market, he sort of looked 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 inward and looked to his own you know his own abilities and um, and so he said that he um, you know he said I believe I couldn't draw least of all the human face he said that there was no artistic task that seemed more impossible I continued to draw out my frustration what seemed simple to many I carried out a long trial of self-negation subtraction false piety and erasure um, and he, in doing that, he also decided that he would set himself a rule which forced him how to learn and make better um, by saying that he would never use any found objects, he would try and do everything himself, and he wouldn't use technology, nor would he outsource. So, um, uh, you know, and so I think what is interesting, he started by... His, his sculptures actually began with drawing. They, you know, he, as I said, he would make very sort of vigorous drawings onto, you know, with, with graphite or charcoal onto, um, onto paper, but so violently that he would often um, puncture the paper or work through it. And so in turn, it became malleable. It became a sculptural material. He even started to pulp that paper and turn it into, um, turn it into a sculptural matter and sculptural material. Um, but, uh, you know, then his masks, you know, he, because he said that all of his works start with the face, and so masks are a recurring and a signature motif in his, in his work, which is why I was very pleased to be able to acquire, through the help of the Collectors Club, this, this mask by Matthew Monaghan, one of his most recent, and one that, I guess, really, looking back, uh, signals a breakthrough in, in his, um, you know, in his uh, working with masks and also with materials. Um, because he started by just making these masks on um, very small pieces of paper that were small enough to fit in the palm of your hand. Um, so very sort of beautiful fugitive things. And then over time he would, you know, scale them up, use larger sheets of paper, cover them in beeswax and, and, and sort of, a, a, you know, adapt his materials over time. But it's only 
a couple of years ago, well, in 2016, he was invited to Palazzo Altemps, which is an extraordinary sort of 15th century palazzo in Rome, the only international contemporary artist ever invited. And I've, the small catalogue that's going around is from that um, exhibition. Um, and it's an archaeological museum as well as um, a museum uh, of the Lud Ludovici family who have an incredible Renaissance um, painting collection as well. So he was responding to both of those collections in, in one collection and making all new work for that, um, for, for, for that place. Um, it was also the first time that he really well, he, he, he was just starting to work with bronze, so he was starting to make casts, and, um, but still a lot of them done, he sort of made his own foundry in his, in his studio, so it's still very rough, a lot of it. Um, but it was immediately after that um, exhibition, and um, not long after he'd shown in the Venice Biennial um, in 20... Uh, I think, sorry, he was in 2013 Biennial, um, that he that he started making works or these masks uh, in one single sheet of um, uh, aluminium. So what is sort of incredible about this is it's called five squared. And remember, I said that uh, Matthew Monaghan likes to set himself a rule or you know um, almost a, you know a sort of um, yeah an, an instruction for himself. And for this one, he, it's called five squared, so he, which, which you know, is um, 25. So he set himself the task of creating a portrait or a face um, with only uh, 25 folds. And what's amazing, I mean, you're not meant to do this, but um, if you come have a look, not now, but um, you can sort of look underneath and, um, and you can see the way, that, um, the way that he's scoured the back and created these different um, lines. And he's tested it out from very small to you know, scaling up to this piece, but it, it's one single sheet and it has been completely pressed by hand, so no, you know, other than, you know, uh, basic sort of metal working tools, um, you know, hand presses, but no hydraulic presses, you know, not, 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 no computer generated, um, uh, you know, no computer generated renders or 3D mock-ups, nothing like that. Every, everything was done by hand, which, you know, probably a hundred years ago wasn't so hard, but nowadays it's actually <laughs> become really complicated again. And, um, and so, so that's, uh, you know, that tells you a little bit about the, the making of this. Um, and also it's, you know, it's anodized, so it's not painted black. It's, you know, that sort of sense of truth to materials, um, you know, using only the, the sort of the aluminium sheet itself to create a single portrait. So it's, you know, it's quite um, in incredible in that sense. Um, and, you know, I think... Um, What's also interesting, you know, I've been, I've been asking him um, about the, the title because it references... Oh, is there a way to do that? Great. I thought it was quite, you know, dramatic in the background, sort of fitting for, for, this, for this work. But, um, you know, the title includes the word scarab, and so I'd sort of asked him about that. I mean, he doesn't like giving too many things away. Um, but, you know, of course, uh, you know, if we unpack the, uh, the symbolism of the, um, of the scarab and that in um, Egyptian religion, it, it was a symbol of immortality, of resurrection, of transformation and protection, and is used in a lot of funerary art. Um, and, you know, the Egyptian god Kepri was often dis uh, depicted as a scarab beetle or a beetle-headed man. Um, and 
this, you know, the scarab has been used in ancient Egyptian symbolism as a seal or an amulet. Sometimes it would also be included um, in, in a sarcophagus. And, um, but the scarab itself as a beetle is sometimes shown with both it, with its wings closed and sometimes open. So they sort of fold in and fold out. And so I think there's a sort of symmetry um, and, and thoughts that are connected to, to the scarab beetle itself, as well as the idea of an impression and the, the idea of the sort of amulet or the scarab impression, which is part of the making of um, of this of this mask, so I think it's it's twofold. Um, pardon the pun um, in terms of its uh, its symbolism and its references. Um, but um, you know, I think so. So what I find about this particular mask is that, true to Matthew Monaghan's way of sort of scouring art history and um, um, bringing it together, is that it it compresses the, the primitive, the classical, the modern, and the futuristic into a single work. And it also speaks across a huge amount of our collection areas as well. And it was quite, um, it was quite lovely because last week we had uh, a session with the trainee guides and um, we're talking about whether to display it here um, or to display it in um, gallery 12, which um, in the human condition and you know near, near its, I guess, uh, artistic peers as well. So Belinda de Bruckia, Anthony Gormley, and, and to have it near um, other Rodin works. But, um, but actually, I was, uh, I was inspired by Max here, um, and, uh, and, and he felt that as a mask, it sort of also sits as a, a desk ma death mask of, of sorts, and, um, and has a particular sort of resonance here as well, and, um, and, and particularly next to the AESNF as well, as um, it, it's, uh, it's you know, resonating a lot more the longer, t the longer I spend with it here in, in the space. But, um, so thanks, Max. I like, uh, I think, uh, I think it looks great, right? Yeah. <laughs> Are you, you happy with it? <laughs> it, was, it was either going to go, you know, because obviously he's thinking about portraiture, we had thought about inserting it amongst the, the, the wall of sort of regal and noble portraits um, in, in Gallery 12. But, um, but you know, what, what, what I thought was, was interesting is that, um, you know, he... You know, he, he, what, what um, Matthew Monaghan said himself is that he said, the face is not a sign. It begins as one, but I will beat the sign out of it. No happy faces, no skulls. There will be no metaphor, symbol, or substitute for this face. It will only be itself, an argument in itself. And um, he also said that you know, there are moments when the face really comes alive um, and the body seems to, you know, as a sculptor, while he's making, that the face comes alive, the body sort of twists of its own volition, um, and when the figure comes at you. Um, and, but he says that he seems to go out of his way to ruin it, to push the gaze back inward and paralyze the body as if caught in the rigidity of a trance. And what I love is what he says next. Um, he said, place and time have to be compressed and buried within the figure itself. So I feel like this, you know, this particular work, both in, in its sort of materials, its making, its sort of uh, concept, you know, really is a summation of all of that. So a really incredible sort of signature work and turning point in, in his practice. Um, yeah. The other thing is I think that, you know, he's very excited to see it here and in this space because he said that, um, you know, in, in setting himself these limits and these rules and these ways of making is that he sort of has rediscovered a sense of awe in what human beings have created 
um, and that he has rediscovered the museum as a psychedelic time-traveling machine, which I think is a really, <laughs> really apt uh, way of summarizing the Art Gallery of South Australia's particular, you know, collection here and collection hang. So um, I think he's very pleased to be next to an Etruscan, an Etruscan head of 15th, 16th century Netherlandish painting of a, of a man praying and a, a Greek horseman, um, as well as a, a Haniwa, a 6th century Japanese um, funereal tomb, tomb guardian. So um, yeah, I think, Max, you're on the money and uh, you know, this is <laughs> definitely the place, the place for him. Um, oh, sorry, is that a bit short? Maybe that's a bit short. Maybe I'll, um, uh, maybe I'll just open it up to some, some questions. And I'm really sorry, I was meant to check that there was anyone in the crowd who, who needed um, sign language, but um, thank you. I always like having you close by. Um, so I might just open up to some questions about the artist or other works, or this work in particular, if, if, if you have any. You know, it's funny, he, he did a residency in Japan in 2000, which was around the time that he was really, um, you, know, you know, working with the masks and working with paper. It was only a short residency, but um, I, I do feel that these ones have become much more um, geometric and I guess have, uh, you know, connect back to origami in, in some sense. So I, I feel like it's latent. In all my reading, I haven't been able to find that. And so far in my discussions with the artist, he, he hasn't sort of revealed that, but um, I will, you know, I'll, I'll find out. I think it might be more latent than, than um, you know, overt. Yeah, yeah. Hi, yeah. Obviously, on the contrary, this sort of reminded me of Picasso and the African masks. Yeah, yeah. The inspiration he drew from that, and particularly the geometric facets of it. Is there any sort of link to that at all? Well, Picasso is someone that he, you know, cites as a. You know, someone who he's been influenced by, and you would think so because also the connection, in a sense, to cubism as well, to the angularity of the face. So they they do have that sort of cubist angularity and that sort of you know glowering sort of primitive mask sense. But um, I think he's drawing from all of those things and compressing them. So you know, um, I think what he liked is that with these particular works is that they you know that they um, they both uh, are sort of created you know, from shadows and also create shadows and project them as well. So, um, but yeah, I think, um, I'm sure there's a bit of Picasso in there. There's definitely references to, to, um, to primitive masks, yeah, and masks across cultures, yeah. Great, you're all gonna get an early lunch, yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much.